We're going into a, um, we're, we're talking about a series here in a series called Culture. And um, with this series, we've been talking about how the outside culture has, um, continues to press upon us um, a way that is, that is different than, than the culture that God has, has spelled out in, in, in the New Testament with Jesus talking about his kingdom at hand. In Matthew's chapter, five through seven, Jesus comes and he says, he begins to describe what the culture of his kingdom will look like. He begins to describe the characteristics and the, and the, um, uh, the, the characteristics and attitudes and attributes of people that's going to inhibit his kingdom. And it looks vastly different than the, than the kingdom outside the, the worldly culture, the worldly's way of, of, of the worldly's way period. And so when we look at this, we see that it all starts in Matthew 4.17 where Jesus said, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And so what we have is when we look at Matthew chapter 5-7, through 7, we see what a repentant heart looks like. We see when someone says, I'm repentant, I'm totally depending upon you, I'm trusting you with my salvation, I'm trusting you with my full life, I'm trusting you completely and implicitly, things begin to change. And guys, I can't, say, I can't say it enough, and you, you see it when you read the Bible. You see it when you read the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew. It looks vastly different than the culture in which we operate in on a daily basis, does it not? I mean, when we talk about salvation, we sing these songs about the blood. We sing about the, the, how the blood of the Lamb washes away sins. We talk about how Jesus, the sacrifice, His ultimate sacrifice, gives us a new start. It gives us a do-over. gives us a new life. It enables us to live life to the fullest. That doesn't make sense, does it? It makes sense to ones where we've allowed the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and our ears but for others, to worldly, Paul writes about this to the Corinthians. He says this wisdom of God is, looks like foolishness to man. And when we look at Matthew's five, chapters 5 through 7 and we read the Sermon on the Mount, it does look weird. It does look like an oxymoron. It looks like something that's upside, out, you know, upside down, inside out. How many of us go to our knees and praise for our enemies? How many of us, when we look at relationships and things like that, how many of us want to respond the way Jesus says, this is how we're going to respond? And in the whole chapter, he begins to line out, those chapters, he begins to line out this new culture, this kingdom of heaven. And he says, this is how you're going to deal with your marriages. This is how you're going to treat one another as a married couple. This is how you're going to treat your enemies. This is how you're going to spend your money. This is how you're going to pray. This is how you're going to conduct yourselves. And when you read that, it raises the bar even higher. And you're like, this is hard. A few weeks ago we talked about being poor in spirit, where Jesus says they're the ones that are going to be, uh, they're the ones that's going to inherit the earth. They're the ones, they're the ones, the poor in spirit, they're the, one, they're the ones that's going to, I should say inherit the earth, that's what we're talking about today. But the poor in spirit, they're the, they're the ones that's going to begin to understand and live life to the fullest. That Macurii that we talked about. Because it's when we become less of ourselves and become more of God, that's when our life becomes full. That's when our life becomes, we, we, we start looking at things and we start seeing that things, that things are vastly different with God. Today we're going to talk about being meek. I think all of these, these, these beatitudes that are found in Matthew 5, I think all of these are extremely, absolutely extremely hard. I think they build on one another. I don't think you can be meek until you're poor in spirit. I don't think you can be meek until you begin to grieve and, and look at your life and begin to understand 
what your life was like without God or what your life was like you know, when you're living apart from God. And so these things begin to build. But I think, being, I think the whole concept of being meek is vastly misunderstood in our world today. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And I'm going to read it from the, um, the message paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. He says, you're blessed. That's at Makuria. You're blessed. You're living life to the fullest. You're experiencing life to the most fullest when you understand to be content with just who you are. That reminds us of the, what the series we came through, Who Do You Think You Are?, with the writings of Paul in Ephesians. When you begin to understand, when you begin to get tapped into the ways of the kingdom, of God's kingdom, and you begin to truly understand how God created you, and you begin to live out of your God-created identity, it brings this sense of contentment over you, and you begin to say, you know what, all I have to be is just me. And I'm not talking about the dysfunctional me. I'm not talking about when we try to sell people, well, I'm just an angry person, or I'm just, I look at the cup half full, or, or you know, I'm just bitter, all this other stuff, that's just me, just accept me for who I am, or I like to just say what's on my mind, whether it destroys you or not. That's not what it means whatsoever. It means that we become alive. We become who God has called us to be and created us to be. We begin to understand our giftedness. We begin to understand our ministry. We begin to understand our purpose in life. And we begin to say, you know what? That's all God is asking me to be. And we be, when we succumb to that and we say, I'm going to live my life to that, that's when we, we become content. Because I'm not trying to be something I'm not. There's no prestige in being something over here that's not what God, that, that's not how I was, that's, that's, I'm getting tripped up. It's not how I was created. It's when we understand who we are and we become content with that and we say, I'm fine with this. I believe this is how God's created me to be. We become alive. He says, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now, the NIV taught, uses the word meek. And we get tripped up on that. This world gets tripped up on that. Because I want to tell you something. Go out in our world and say, I'm called to be meek. And people are going to look at you in a weird way. Because I think one of the things, we start defining what meekness is not. I think the world defines, and again, it's that culture. It's that culture that presses up against us. That culture that's the the antithesis of Jesus' culture of the kingdom of hand. And, And that culture, the culture out here begins to identify what meek is. And meek is not weakness. And let's be honest, isn't that how the world sees meek? Well, that means you're weak. No, that's the furthest thing from the truth. As we're going to discover here in a few, it takes a lot of power to be meek. Meek is not weakness. Meek is on the other scale of weakness. But that's how the world sees it. Well, we don't want a leader that's meek. We want a leader that's strong. We want someone that can do this. We want someone that can do that. And they define it as being weak. Another way they define it is being a coward. Well, if you're meek, you're not going to stand up. I, for the longest time growing up in the church, I always thought kind of meek or being a Christian was you got to be a doormat. It's like, you know, and that's kind of what we see a lot of times because it's really hard to find that, to, to live in that zone of being meek. You're either like a doormat or you're standing up for yourself in a, in a sense uh, in the way the world defines it. Now, there's nothing wrong with standing up for yourself. But there's a proper way of doing that. And the world teaches us, you know, you've got to go after it. You've got to go after it. And you've got to put people in their place. And if you don't put people in your place, they're going to view you as being weak. That's not what it means to be meek. You're not a coward. You're not weak. The other one is you're not powerless. Like I said, it takes way more power to be meek 
than it does anything else. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're sitting in, uh, or you have a relationship, and you're sitting in a situation where someone hurts you, or you, you, this, this person comes and they attack you. The last thing you want to do is pray for them. The last thing you want to do is have this power under control that says, I'm going to lift this person up in prayer. I'm going to love this person. Man, it's so much easier to just go for their throat, isn't it? But being meek says, you know what? It is well with my soul. I trust God. God's in control. I don't have to own this. I don't have to advance my thoughts. I don't have to advance my agenda to prove to this other person that I'm not weak. But being meek says I'm in control. It means that I'm giving this to God. That I'm trusting God. And when God says speak, I'll speak. When God says move, I'll move. When God gives me revelation and wisdom and how to deal with the situation, I will deal with it that way. But until then, I'm going to stay quiet and I'm going to trust in God. It is well with my soul that He's in charge. Another one is this sense of horizontal. It's not so much horizontal. It's vertical. It's trusting in God. It's having complete trust in God that He is in control. When we look in our world today, things look like it's, it's just an anarchy at times. Things look like everything is spinning out of control. But remember, we talked about, when we were in the whole series called The Story, and we talked about Revelation, and we talked about how that letter of Revelation went to those churches, and how they must have looked at the world to say, it seems as if everything's out of control. And John was writing to say, yes, you're right. It may seem like everything's out of control, but God is in control. God is seated on His throne. God is in control regardless whether you think He is or not, or whether it seems like He's not. He's in control. And it's, then we develop this vertical trust in God that enables us to deal horizontally with our relationships and become meek. Here's the definition, really, of uh, meekness. It's having this complete trust and submission to God. This complete dependence on God. When we sat down this week, CJ and I were sitting in my office, and we were talking about this message, developing it out, and, and that was one of the first things we began to talk about. And he wrote out this definition. I'm like, that's not being meek. <laughs> that doesn't what meek means. And then the more we talked about it, that's exactly what meek means. Meek means that I trust implicitly in God. The reason why we get ourselves in situations is because we don't trust that God's in control. Whoa, 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 don't say that to me. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? The reason why I get upset with my kids is because they're not listening to me. They're not doing what I'm telling them to do. I want to control them. The reason why I get upset with my wife is because she doesn't do what I'm telling her to do, right? And if she would just listen to me because I'm superior and everything and I know much more, right? I would snicker too because that is a joke and you face it too. But we want to control things, right? We want to, we're control freaks. And guys, I'm telling you this. Whenever we struggle with control, it is the first red flag that goes up that says, I'm not trusting in God. It's hard being meek, is it not? When you're sitting in a meeting and someone doesn't get it, and they put they you know and, and you begin to engage and they put you down. When you have a relationship where they're doing things or whatever that just that just goes against your grain or other situations, whether it be your children or whatever it is, it is so hard to pull back and say, God is in control. 
I don't have to own this. That's what it means to be meek. That's hard. But if you can just trust and understand, that is extreme power. Because you're trusting in God and you're saying, God, this is yours to own, not mine. Now, when we read this whole passage of Scripture uh, that Jesus lays out, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, we often call it the Beatitudes within that Sermon on the Mount, it's very interesting that there's a verse or there's a chapter or a psalm, I should say, a psalm back in the Psalms where King David wrote, and listen to the things that he said because it's the same stuff that, that Jesus was talking about, I think, of being meek. And, and the Spirit working through King David, he pins out these, these words in Psalm 37. He says this, Trust in the Lord. This is how you become meek. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. I think every single person sitting in this room today, we want to prosper. I'm not talking or preaching a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that at all. But I doubt there's a person sitting in here that says, I really don't want to prosper and I hope my life is full of trials and tribulations. Aren't we all looking for the same thing? Don't you want your life to be fulfilling? Don't you want to understand what life is about? Don't you want to understand where, where it all comes together and you begin to live life in the fullest? Isn't that what we're all looking for? The problem is we're humans and at times we don't trust in God with that and we begin to try to do it our way. We try to control this or control that and we're certainly not meek and the next thing you know, we're starting to reap the fruit from our actions and it gets all out of kelter. And King David is saying, clear back Psalm 37 and the same words that Jesus is teaching about His kingdom in, in Matthew 5, 5, trust in the Lord and do good, then you will be safely, you live safely in the land and prosper. What's the next one? Take delight. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. That's where we begin to say, God, I completely trust in You. It is well with my soul. He begins to take the things that are of us. They begin to dissipate and He fills more of us with Him. And the next thing you know, we begin to pray, God... You know, we, we, we trust in God and God begins to give the desires of our hearts to us which are already His, already his desires. It's amazing how it works. Take delight. Do you find joy in the Lord? Do you take delight? Do you trust in Him and take delight in Him? Listen to, what, listen to the rest of this verse. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Everything you do to the Lord, commit to Him. Trust Him. He's the one that's going to help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn. And the justice of your cause will shine like the new day sun. It Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Holy cow. This is... <laughs> am I just... I mean, the more we read this, the harder it gets. How many of us... Things might look a little bit different if we could just close our mouths and just trust. And be quiet. And be patient. And then when God says move, we move. When God says speak, we speak. I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of, Gail, shut up and be quiet and stand still. Well, no. We want results, don't we? We want to get results. How do you get results by standing still? How do you get results by not moving forward? Trust in the Lord. Take delight in Him. Commit to Him. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about all the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. 
Turn from your rage. James talks about this. Why do we get angry? Because people disagree with us. We don't get our way. And when we don't get our way, we get bitter, we get angry, and we're certainly not meek. We're certainly not quiet. We're certainly not standing still and waiting patiently, taking delight in Him and committing ourselves to Him. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. And then he says this to wrap it up. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. You want peace and prosperity? Trust in God. Take delight in God. Commit yourself to God. Be quiet. Be patient. Stand in the presence of God and wait on Him to move. And that's when we're going to find peace and prosperity and life to the fullest because we're trusting and we're able to sing songs. Do you ever have this realization when you come into a worship service and we're standing and we're singing? Do you ever have this out-of-body experience where you start hearing the words that you're singing and you're like I'm not so sure I do that I'm singing it but I'm not so sure I do that it is well with my soul it is well with my is it well with my soul to trust in God and I get guys don't hear me don't hear me browbeating man I'm human too I get the whole struggle between human the human spirit and the and, and the, the fleshly spirit and the spirit that lives inside of us I get that tension I I understand that so I'm not browbeating but I'm just saying man there's times where I'm standing there singing and I'm thinking wow man if I would if I would just if I would live out these lyrics these are powerful lyrics oh precious is the blood that washes my sins away? Man, if we can just trust in the Lord, we, be, we start living in the abundance and, 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 and sense that fulfillment, that makuriai in Him. So, we're talking about this whole concept of being meek. That's really trusting, committing, being patient, taking delight. Those types of things, if we can focus in on those things and allow God to, 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 to manifest those things within our lives, that's when we become meek. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who the meekest man was in the Bible? Just shout it out. Who do you think it was? Who? Moses? Who said Moses? You, you were in here the first service, weren't you? <laughs> we started reading this passage of Scripture found in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And I want you to listen to it. He says, Now the man, and this is, this is number, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. I think most of us say Jesus or Job or someone like that. Moses. Moses was the most meek. We started talking, CJ and I started talking about this. We're playing the scripture, you know, and, and, and then we started this talk, and then we started to look at the full context of chapter 12. And I want to read it to you because it, it's very interesting what takes place in chapter 12 where this is actually mentioned. Chapter 12 of Numbers. He said, and I'm going to read from the, I'm going to read from the, um, the ESV. Actually, I got the NIV here. It says, Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Miriam and Aaron, sister and brother, brother and sister to Moses. Miriam and Aaron begin to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. So here's what happened real quick. Let me set the context. Uh, Moses marries this Cushite woman so significant about a Cushite woman. She wasn't a Jew. She wasn't an Israel, later become an Israelite. She wasn't a Hebrew. She was a Cushite. She was a foreigner. 
She was black. She wasn't olive-skinned or white. She was black. Very significant to think about because when you read the rest of this passage of Scripture, it really comes into play. And so his brother and sister said, how can you marry outside of the race? At this time, God hadn't developed the law, the Levitical law, saying you've got to marry within the Jewish race to stay pure. That hadn't been given just yet. And so now listen to what happens, because this is what they're, this is what they're talking about, and there's grumblings taking place. And listen to what happened in verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Verse 4, at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come on out. Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, uh, the, the pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent, and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. This is God speaking to Miriam and Aaron. And listen to what he says. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in various visions. I speak to them in dreams. Now listen to this. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him... I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Then the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not not to hold against us this sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. I love that passage of Scripture because you really see, you're going to see the meekness of Moses come out here. And what's so significant about this, I think, I was reading this from a commentator and it just made, it just made such sense. He said, this commentator said, uh, it is believed that because Miriam was against the whole race thing and saying, well, this person isn't white or whatever, God says, you want white, I'll give you white. And Miriam became white. She became white as snow with leprosy, that dreadful disease back then that defiled a person that made them an outcast where they had to live outside, outside the community there. And she would, later on, she would later on be restored. But I want you to listen to Moses' response. He says in verse 13, So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please God, heal her. Now, can we just be human for a second? How many of you in this situation would have been like, Yes. Take that. Seriously. We wouldn't, right? We're all meek in here. I get it. I get it. I know none of you ever have anger like that. I mean, when you read this passage of Scripture, don't you look at it and you say, Miriam got what, she, what was coming to her. Absolutely. Let's have a come to Jesus, Miriam and Aaron. And oh, by the way, are we going to have any other discussions like this? I mean, what, like with Moses, wouldn't you like just kind of, wouldn't you have felt really good but yet Moses didn't. And on other occasions we read that Moses actually petitioned himself before God This when God got angry with all the people and God was going to strike them all dead. Moses says, take me. Spare the people and take me. Paul said the same thing in another passage of Scripture in the New Testament, one of his letters. He says, They said, take me. 
You talk about individuals that got it. I think the reason why Moses got it is because Moses was able to look back and reflect on his life. You remember where he took the, took the Egyptian, he killed the Egyptian? Remember when God called him to something and Moses couldn't be patient, he couldn't wait, he had to move, right? He had to move. God said, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to deliver my people. And Moses said, well, it's time, let's go. And he took it, out of his, it, took it in his own hands and he ends up killing the, that Egyptian. You remember that whole story? And then he goes off for 40 years in the desert to be in seclusion in a sense. I think Moses could reflect back and say, you know what? God's love just over, has overcome me. God's love has done so much for me. I think because of that, Moses was then ter- learned the lesson of being patient. I think he learned the lesson of taking delight in the Lord. I think he learned the lesson of trusting God. I think he learned all those things that was demonstrated to him through the Exodus and through God just being with him over and over and over again where Moses became a meek person to the point where he could say, God, heal her. Don't do that. Heal her. God, spare the people and take my life. You see, that's what Jesus is calling us to. That's what He's calling you and I to, this sense of being meek, this sense of being poor in spirit, this sense of of mourning. Because see, what happens is when we become poor in spirit, we begin to understand the dreadfulness of our lives, how much we don't measure up to Jesus. And yet Jesus continues to pursue us. Some of us sitting in here this morning, we have pasts of addictions and habits and hang-ups. Some of us still struggle with those today. But yet we find we still find hope in Jesus, where He comes to us and He forgives us again and again and again. Even when we say, I love you, and I'm never going to do that thing again, but yet we do. And yet instead of alienating us, instead of kicking us in the teeth, instead of saying, get out of my sight, Jesus continues to pursue us with this love relationship. And we begin to reflect on that. And we begin to understand how incredible God's love is for us. And as we do, it enables us to become meek. Because who am I? Who am I? To hold something against someone else when Jesus continues to pursue me with His love. Some of you are sitting here this morning and Jesus has radically saved you. Jesus has, has extended salvation to you and you're in here and you're celebrating and you, you, you get this. Some of us are still struggling. Some of us may not even, we don't have the eyes or the ears to hear right now. And I'm telling you, Jesus' Spirit is here this morning inviting you into this. You're not sitting in here by accident this morning. Hearing these words by accident. Moses experienced, the, I think Moses was to stand and reflect and understand the, the, the true power of uh, forgiveness and understand this whole concept of being meek and filling himself with God. Listen to what uh, Psalm 37.11 says. I didn't read it before, but to close that psalm out, it says this, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Jesus is saying, if you want peace and prosperity in your life, if you want life to the fullest, it comes from being meek. And you're going to inherit the land. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a present situation and a futuristic situation, but you're going to inherit what you're searching for. And that is peace and prosperity and a sense of fullness and living life in its abundance. 1 Peter 3, as the worship team comes back, and we're going to close with one last song. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. Peter's talking uh, to the wives and the husbands in this passage of Scripture. But listen to what he says, because this word gentle found in Peter, and I'm going to read it from the voice, 
But there, this word, there's a word used here that's a gentle, and it, seems, it goes back to the whole concept of being meek, where you're gentle. And he says this, let your adornment, and he's talking to the wives at this point, but he's saying, let your adornment be what's inside. The real you. The lasting beauty of a gracious and quiet spirit in which God delights. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is saying, My kingdom is at hand. And this is what the people of my kingdom look like. They don't advance their own agendas. They don't get caught up in rage. They don't get caught up in anger. They don't get caught up in broken relationships. They don't get caught up in foolish spending. They don't get caught up in all these other things. My people of my kingdom look like this. And he begins to spell it out. They're poor in spirit. They mourn for the things of God. And they're meek. The things I'm talking to you about in this whole series of culture and talking to you about today, I'm going to tell you right up front, it's going to be the hardest things that we ever go up against because it is literally, as I said before, the antithesis of our human nature. The broken world is literally the opposite of what we're talking about today. And this morning, Jesus is saying to you, if you're a follower of His, He's saying to you, that's not you. You are not that you are this guys don't try to attempt this on your own accord out of your own strength it's not going to happen some of you are searching for peace and prosperity and you haven't submitted to God yet in full dependence and trust you're spinning your wheels it's not going to work it's never going to work the only way that we're going to be able to achieve life to its fullest, abundance, the Macorii, the, the, the this this poor in spirit, this 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 sense of being mourning for God and being meek is by submitting ourselves to Jesus. And as he lives inside of us, he begins to produce those things in which we're all searching for. We're all searching for it. So this morning, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. We're going to close with one last song. I just pray that you would respond um, appropriately, the way the Spirit is drawing you to respond. I know the Spirit is here. I know the Spirit is working. I know the Spirit is trying to draw people into a deeper relationship. In fact, that's what He's doing for every single person sitting in here this morning. He's trying to draw us deeper and deeper and deeper into this love relationship with God. And we become more like Him. And we begin to exhibit more of His fruit. And we become meek people. Not weak, not cowards, not powerless, but meek. Totally dependent on Him type of individuals. Won't you stand and let me close with a word of prayer. Jesus, the things that we talked about today are absolutely crazy. When Paul lines it out and says it, you know, he says this stuff that it's of God is foolishness to men. Man, that is so, that is so true because it is like the hardest thing we would ever go after. Something that just goes against our humanness. But Father, we know that you give us power. We know that through the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have the power of the Spirit 
the, the, the power of the resurrection living inside of us. And Father, we pray that you would just enable us to, 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 to um, surrender more and more and more of our humanness to you. And Father, if there are those in here this morning that just doesn't make any sense to, that they don't have the ears and the eyes and to understand what we're talking about, but yet the one thing they're feeling right now is you drawing them, would you please give them the power to do that so that this will make sense to them? And that they will have the power to live a life of blessedness, of contentment and peace, and prosperity, life to the fullest. I pray that as we close with this last song, that you would help us to, to be people with courage to respond the way you want us to respond, regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey. And I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. We are the constituents. We're going to go into our word and we're going to dismantle the culture out there and we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Go. It was great worshiping with you this week. Go. We'll see you back here next week as we continue on this series called Culture. Have a great week.